We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 174. The Yankees took care of business in City Field. I know some people might say they should have swept that series. We'll get into all of that, Scott. But I think overall, a solid stretch of baseball for the Yankees. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, at the end of the day, you just need to win those series. These are big, all these series coming up in the whole month are, are, are massive, massive games. So you want to make sure you come out ahead winning the, the series itself. 
you can live with that. If you don't sweep, I mean, obviously there's missed opportunities sometimes, but you know, what are you going to do? Win the series. That's good baseball. Move forward. Stay ahead in the in the uh, standings in the wild card, and keep your eye on the Red Sox because we're coming for that ass. Tuesday's loss was especially uh, upsetting for me because my streak of the Yankees being undefeated in New York finally came to an end after three games. I thought it was going to be a Cleveland 21-game win streak. Yeah, see, these are one of those things, man. I mean, you've been jinxing practically everything we've been talking about here, so I don't know why you uh, would think that. It seems like you did jinx yourself on this, on your little streak. Although... Coming up, we have a little Greg Bird injury talk again. I said nothing about Greg Bird on last podcast, so that one's not on me. It's not just the last podcast. You've done your damage. He's he's a tainted man. He's a beaten bird. You can't uh, retroactively jinx people. You, that's not how jinxes work. Coming no, up jinxes on work episode- in the, it's, a, it's a man jinx. You man jinxed him. Okay? I'm sorry, but he's, he's, a, he's, he's cursed. That's it. He's done. That's the man spreading of jinxing. I don't want to even want to talk about man spreading. That's not a good place to go. Uh, coming up on this episode, Scott, you talked with Ryan Rucco. Yeah, I had Ryan Rucco on earlier. It was an awesome conversation. The uh, The man is good at his job. I got to tell you, I've, I was a fan beforehand just listening to him from on the when the Yankees are away, kind of that that next um, that next squad when Michael K doesn't travel with the team. And I've always thought he's very good. Uh, so I had a really good conversation with him, talked about the Yankees, the state of the Yankees, kind of his thoughts on it. Um, he's a New York guy. We kind of just touched, touched on that. You know, he grew up a Yankees fan. And uh, so we, we talked about some of the broadcast stuff, but a lot about the on the field Yankees, um, some about his podcast and how he establishes relationships with players. So really good stuff with Ryan. Uh, we went for about 25, 30 minutes. So it was a, it was a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Unfortunately, I was not able to do that. I figured my third day at my new job, it might be hard to dip out at lunch and go record a podcast. Yeah, might not be the best thing to say to your new boss or whomever's the uh, the person that's you're reporting to, to, to that you got to go re- record a podcast now. So I got to peace out. Right. Um, so uh, also we have some, we announced the September 30th tickets are live. Uh, we've been getting people... To be interested in that, buying tickets is awesome to see a lot of buzz on social media. Where can people get those tickets? So you want to go to, first of all, they're on our social media accounts, uh, but the link itself is smarturl.it.it backslash game crew. That's smarturl.it slash game crew. You go there, buy the tickets, and it's uh, through a site called Fivo. It's, we're working with the Yankees on this one so that all the tickets are connected. You can pretty much pick your seats uh, with your group, so all that's taken care of ahead of time. And uh, then you're also given a code for your free T-shirt, which is, again, easily done on our fan shop. So we will have a, for 59 bucks. that's the September 30th. And again, we keep saying this, it's going down to that day, and it still seems like it's going down to that day, whether it's the wild card whether it's our positioning within the, the, the playoffs or, or not, God forbid, or what we really have our eye on is the AL East. I, I have a feeling, I think you made the prediction last episode, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm all on board with it, that it's going to be a, uh, uh, either scoreboard watching or we'll know an outcome from maybe an earlier game from the Red Sox, and then something will be determined. So uh, 59 bucks gets you the game ticket in 205-206. You get a free custom T-shirt that I designed. That's on Twitter. You can see it there. It's a pretty awesome shirt. 
And also a pregame party at the Bronx Brewery. That's two 16-ounce pints of the uh, Bronx Banner Ale. You've been hearing about that from us quite a bit. It's a delicious beer. You got two of them on us. And then we worked out a deal with them for $4 16-ounce pints from uh, for the rest of the pregame. So really good stuff going on. 59 bucks. Value up the ass on this one. Come on out. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Looking forward to seeing some people that we saw at June 10th and also meeting a lot of new people. And yeah, I think it's coming down to that that last weekend for the Yankees. It's just simple math. If you look, they're four back in the loss column. I know the Red Sox are playing tonight as we're recording, so it might be it might be back down to three, but there's not much time. The Yankees are if they're gonna win the division, it's coming down to that last weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think what we've been saying, the the Red Sox are are due for a, a nice little losing streak. And you know they're not built the same way that a lot of these teams that are are really uh, that are getting into the postseason. They're thin. We we talked about that when we talked with uh, when you talked with Chad Jennings. Like that was one of their big one of their big uh, problems with that team is their depth. They don't have any. So when they do have injuries, you're you're not seeing the the, the guys that the Yankees have. So I I think when you come down to the end of a season, that really plays into it and. You know, we'll see if it, it takes their toll on them, but I expect it to happen. I, I think the Yankees are playing good baseball, and I can expect that to continue as well. So definitely coming down to it. Speaking of injuries, is Greg Bird fragile? Is he a pussy? Is he cursed? Is there some black magic going on here? What the hell is going on with Greg Bird? It's uh, it's Mark Teixeira 2.0 is what it is. This man. Yeah, this is worse healthy. than Mark Teixeira, I think. Well, because... We're seeing it early in a career too. I mean, we Mark Teixeira had a had a pretty ridiculous career before he got to the Yankees. He was an older guy at that time. This is this is probably worse because he's a younger dude. He has a weird bone in the in the ankle that doesn't exist on most people. That's weird. Then he has these uh, these stiffnesses in places in his back. That's a problem for a guy that needs to swing a bat. You know, it just seems like every every other day the dude's coming up with something. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, with him if he's just, you know, now labeled injury prone because that's that's following him for sure. Well, he's 100% labeled injury prone at this at this point. He missed all of last season and essentially all of this season. Two straight seasons Greg Bird has essentially missed. Yeah, so we, we don't even know what to expect from this guy anymore. We saw one half of a season in 2015, which seems like a lifetime ago, and then, you know, the, uh, the infamous hot spring training when you de- uh, deemed him our MVP. So this is a, this is a problem. It's a problem because, like you said, we don't know what to expect from him. The rest of the season, I don't know. I don't, he's he's if he's if he's healthy, they'll play him when they can play him. But if we want to quit, like just briefly talk about next season going forward, they're going to have to have another contingency plan, but a, a safer contingency plan than Chris Friggin Carter at first base if they think Greg Bird is making it through a whole season. Oh, the sweet irony of, of this situation, because the man that you deemed MVP early on that you said was going to be in the running is now is now on the on the shelf. And the man that is taking his job and is most likely going to be that contingency plan going into next year is your boy. N- none other than Mr. Chase Headley. This is the guy that's taking the job. He's Wally Pipping Greg Bird. <laughs> he would have been the last player on the roster I, I would have thought to Wally Pip Greg Bird at first base. Unbelievable it's what ha- Chase Headley it's has happening. done. The, the man's on, yeah, he's on fire. He's on fire. He's hitting for both sides of the plate. He's playing a good defense. The, um, you know, he's a good guy in the clubhouse. Everybody likes nice him. Guy. He's a nice, nice guy. guy. We, nice we've always guy. known that. Yeah, yeah. And nice uh, and he's playing good baseball now. So when you when you put a good guy and good baseball together, that's a that's a magical combination. 
I know there's been some talk recently because Todd Frazier has actually been swinging the bat better too if the Yankees would consider bringing him back. Who knows what's going to happen the rest of this season. I almost feel stupid talking about next year, but they, again, might bring back that that Frazier-Headley duo and just shuffle those guys around the corner infield spots just until Gleyber Torres can eventually make his way to the big leagues. Yeah, and, and you know Headley's coming back at this point. I mean, he's he's already he's definitely proved himself extremely valuable now that you know with with the change of position as well as that he's he's hitting for both sides of the plate now. So he's not really a liability, um, you know, from from either side, which is awesome because he was, and he's definitely coming back. He's under contract, so he's coming back, and the the Greg Bird situation is still fluid because, you know, until this guy can prove that he can stay on the field, then. He is he's doing nobody any good because he's really just uh, putting a wrench into plans and he's giving, you know, anybody in the front office or managerial staff any confidence that he's going to be out there to play. We also had Clint Frazier activated from the disabled list. Um, He made a brief rehab assignment in Trenton. I, there was something on the Yes broadcast when he was activated talking about how he was just swinging as hard as he could down in Trenton to make sure he wasn't in, injured. And that's the exact type of maniac that Clint Frazier is, and I love him for that. It's just such a weird thing to say, like to actually come out and say, yeah, I'm just swinging as hard as I possibly can to make sure that my oblique is not injured any longer. It's um, great. It's such a meathead the- move. It is a meathead move. There's no doubt about it. It's like a Gronkowski type uh, situation there. And, you know, he's had some decent at-bats. He's hit the, the ball. I mean, we're, I'm talking about long fly balls is what I'm talking about. But he's also been up with the bases loaded a few times and has had some really bad at-bats. So I understand that he's going to have to, you know, it's going to take some time for him to get his legs under him. But unfortunately, there's really not that much time. He's going to have to figure it out pretty quickly or else he's just not going to be playing that often. Well, if you did, if you go back to before he was even injured, he was in a terrible slump. He he got off to a nice start, and then he had that big walk off home run at the stadium in, in I think his first or second home game. Um, I don't even remember who it was against at this point. But then then he he went into a big slide before his oblique uh, finally sidelined him. Well, and you never know. I mean, the oblique could have been part of the reason because he did mention that you know. At some point, he's like, okay, maybe it's at a point now where I should say something. So it was definitely bothering him before he actually, you know, went to the trainers or whomever he spoke about the the injury with and told them that it was, you know, a problem and hindering him. So again, there goes with that that same mentality. I mean, you you like it that a guy wants to be out there at all times, especially a rookie who's, you know, not trying to say I'm hurt at, at every little ache and pain. He's trying to fight through it. I get that. I love that. Uh, but it was definitely a possibility that it was, you know, a problem for him and could have definitely uh, led to him struggling at the end of there too. So you just don't know, I guess you need him to get it back though. There's no time for him to figure it out at this point. Well, he's, he's the, he's the contingency outfield at this point with Hicks on the DL. I think they're, they're rolling with judge Gardner and Ellsbury at this point in the outfield. Yeah, there definitely are. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is. Um, I think when they get, you know, a left-handed pitcher, a starter up there that they're going to, um, they'll roll Frazier in uh, when when a guy needs a day off or when Joe sees it in his binder that there needs to be another right-handed bat, and uh, and that's when he'll play right now. So he's not proving that he's not he's not making any big noise that says I need to play every day. That's for sure. The the I thought the atmosphere at City Field this week was awesome. The lower bowl was the only thing that was filled, but they were cheap tickets, 25 bucks. So they was pretty much sold out in the lower bowl. 
Everyone was loud because you had real fans there. Real fans were only the ones that were going to go spend 25 bucks and travel all the way to Queens. Uh, City Field is friggin' in no man's land, especially if you're a Yankees fan. So I thought it was a lot of fun. Just watching on TV, everybody was loud in that stadium. Uh, it And I know people were saying, this is what you get when you lower ticket prices. I understand that. It's not going to happen, though. It's unrealistic. But for the time being, for the week, this little three-game novelty act, I thought it was a lot of fun. Well, I think it's a couple a couple things. I mean, you're not getting the regular suits that you get at Yankee Stadium for an event like this, a $25 event at City Field. They're just not going to those games. So, like you said before, those are the the real fans that that see kind of something different. They see, you know, something cool, a $25 uh, game at a different place. It's a it's kind of a, an event as well because it probably won't happen again. So, you're getting the different type of fan and it was loud. There's no doubt. There was definitely some, some like a really good Yankees chance going on. Um, there was a lot of energy throughout the entire game. So it was, it's definitely interesting. I think the Yankees should take a look at how that, how these games went and how the crowd was, and then just, just kind of take a look at it and, you know, have some meetings and just let's, let's bring it up and talk about how we can, you know, bring that atmosphere uh, of a lot more of those types of fans into Yankee Stadium because I still think it can be done. You know, there's, there's, there's some fine lines that they, they can cross, I think, still with, uh, and tweaking with the stadium. Absolutely. You're, you're telling me there's not a midweek game once a week you can lower ticket prices for and, have, and try and sell the joint out? There's got to be. Yeah, that's exactly... No, there's. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities like that. I think that's 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 part of it. It's um, you know, I, I still I I hate the fact that there, you know some of the sections are are closed off. It's still to me just a. It just doesn't feel right uh, when well, you're that's in a not stadium, changing. especially Yankee Stadium. They're not. That's not up changing anytime soon. I, I get that, but there's there's things that they can do to make it a little bit more fan friendly for the entire place. I mean, before you could walk around the whole place and I, I get it that things are different and they're changing and that's fine. It is what it is, but you can't deny the atmosphere that was at, uh, at city with the Yankee fans there because there were a lot of them and they were loud and it was fun. The, the highlight fan. He was not even a Yankees fan. The thumbs down guy. You saw this big burly guy, right? Yeah. There's no way he was a, uh, a Rays fan either. He no. looked way too, he looked way too cynical to be a, a Rays fan. Like Rays fans are not cynical. They're just I don't even know what they are. They're they're, they're non existent uh, fans that go to a, a Rays game because it's close. They like baseball. No, Rays you know, fans are just wearing a hat because they live in Tampa. Right. This was a Mets fan who probably lives near the stadium and said, you know what? I'm going to spend 25 bucks. I'm going to find the only turquoise colored shirt in my closet and I'm going to go boo and thumbs down the Yankees. And no, and I loved it today. I saw on replay that uh, Todd Frazier gave a little thumbs down when he knocked in an RBI early in the game today, maybe talking of, or, you know, a nod to that thumbs down guy. Well, yeah, wasn't it the Frazier home run that he was holding the thumbs down for? I think it was, uh, yes. it was, it was that play. So, I mean, it's a direct, it's a direct response to this guy. It's calling this guy out. You're not a real fan. You're just a dude trying to troll people. The uh, It was just an interesting uh, couple of games because you, I think we even said this last week. Why were the Ra- why'd the Rays pick City Field? Why would you pick New York for, for an, a home game when you're playing the Yankees? But at the same time, that's how they were going to get the most people there. So, And I, I'm assuming they got some sort of revenue from this, right? Because it's technically a home game for them. 
there had to have been some kind of a deal worked out. I, I thought a lot of there was uh, there was money going to the um, the charities for the hurricanes. If I'm if I'm if I'm right on that, I, I thought I heard that. But there was a uh, you know it was look everybody's been been saying the city field employees and the the people that work for the Mets were very good that entire time. Like I think all the beat reporters, everybody who was there at the games were, was was saying that the, even the players were saying it as well that they did a great job. They even went as far as trying to mimic the scoreboard for what they have at Tropicana. Yeah. And and doing some uh, you know some things that they do at the Tampa game. So you know, good on the Mets for doing that. Good on the City Field people for for making it you know feel as it actually was probably the the best home game that Tampa's ever had. To tell you the truth, because there were actually people there and it wasn't a dump and they could see fly balls. It was I I think Wally Matthews tweeted that it was the biggest home crowd. Monday's game was the biggest home crowd the Rays have had since like early August. That's hilarious. Yeah, and that's just that's just such a, a testimony to the Tampa Bay baseball area and, and why the hell they need to get the hell out of there because Rays fans don't live in Tampa, like you said, because they don't exist. They're Yankees fans down there. Uh, Sabathia on Monday night. Uh, they, the Yankees got him a big lead. They scored five runs in the fourth inning. Sabathia was pulled at 88 pitches in the fifth inning. And Longoria was coming up. And even after the game, Sabathia said, well, Longoria owns me. Longoria owns the Yankees. He didn't say that, but it's true. Longoria does own the Yankees. Jordy was not going to play around with CeCe. And I thought it was interesting because you and I have talked on this podcast about how Girardi trusts Sabathia, but he trusts him in certain situations. He doesn't trust him in all situations. This was not one of them. Well, I mean, Girardi's at a point now where he's not trusting most of his guys at this point. There, If he sees a situation that is dicey, he's going to interject. I mean, he's proved that over the past couple of days. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's pulling guys early. If there's a situation where the other team can potentially get back into the game and there's a twinge of uncertainty. And that was exactly it. CC acknowledged the fact that Longoria had very good numbers on him and uh, Girardi wasn't messing around. He went in and made the move and was, you know, it ended up being the right move because it worked. I mean, it was, it was the exact situation that we've been talking about with different guys, but it was D-Rob this time, going in as a fire extinguisher. We talked about that, you know, there could be different guys with this, with this bullpen. It doesn't need to be just one guy. But they're, because they have so many good um, back-end arms, there can be multiple guys on different days that, do, that have different roles. And that day, it was D-Rob. And I don't know the last time he has gotten that many outs, but he did a phenomenal job. And I love his quote afterwards saying that, and I don't care how many innings I pitch. It doesn't matter. I want to do what I need to do to get this team to a championship. You gotta love that. I mean, he just—he—he's already had a bunch of fans for the Yankees, obviously, because he's been here, won a championship. But he got a lot more fans by that quote too. Dude is—is uh, is exactly what you need. We were talking about it being the Tommy Canely trade, maybe even the Todd Frazier trade, if he could have a big second half for the Yankees. It's been the David Robertson trade, and it's not even close. Yeah, I mean, it has. Canely was came in very hot, you know, in the beginning, and I, and I think everybody. Everybody's eyes were popping when they saw what he was doing because he came in like a bulldog. I mean, he was very, very good in the in the beginning, and he has since struggled. You know, he's definitely found his struggles, and uh, Frazier hasn't hit for power. He's kind of hit like he he's been all year. He's been that guy, but at the same time, Frazier has been a guy in the clubhouse. I think he's a because he's a local guy and just kind of the way he carries himself and talks about things. I think he's a fan favorite. I think people do like him, um, and it's very obvious that, that he's meshing very well with the. With the team, and he pl- he does play a phenomenal uh, third base, so he's had some good contributions. But D Rob has definitely been the highlight of this trade. There's no doubt about it. 
I like what Girardi did using Robertson as the fireman with with guys on base. He's the Houdini act. He can get guys out with with uh, he can get uh, outs coming in with runners on base. I believe we talked about last time how Canely and Batances are not good with inherited runners. So maybe Robertson's the guy because there was a quote uh, that Jack Curry tweeted out today about Girardi's uh, usage of Chad Green and how he plans it out for Chad Green. So you can't really plan out using a fireman. So Robertson can go out there. Like he said, I'm going to pitch whenever the hell the Yankees need me. If it's in the fifth inning, the sixth inning, the ninth inning, the 50th inning, I'm going to go out there and pitch. So maybe Robertson's the the fireman, and Chad Green's just going to have to be managed a little bit more because he's a younger guy, and that's how Girardi's using him. Well, I, I think at the same time, if it's uh, he's got confidence in both of those guys, I mean, you saw what, what Chad Green can do. I mean, he came in uh, again today and was, was just absolutely filthy. So... He's got the confidence. You can't have, you can't plan for these fire extinguishers, like you're saying. But at the same time, when you have multiple guys and it works out, then it's fine because you have the confidence that you can bring in more than one dude to do that same job. So that's the beauty of what's going on with this bullpen. It's so freaking deep that Girardi actually has options, and they're all good options. So he, it's it's hard for him to screw things up, although he tries very no. hard to screw them up. Well, it's, it's, it's hard, but he sometimes overmanages, like we saw on Wednesday afternoon. And he's he brings in Chad Green. He gets an uh, inning and a third, which is fine. He brings in Canely, and then he probably pulls Batances too soon, brings in Chapman, who apparently he now trusts again. Chapman was on the shit list for like two weeks, and now he's back to being a four-out uh, save guy. Girardi is comfortable bringing him in. It was just a lot of overmanagement that I saw from Girardi this afternoon. Well, there's no doubt today at the end when he was going, uh, when, when Batances was in the eighth inning, it was just the strangest, strangest move to me. Because you have, I mean, but his, his control wasn't all there. When has it been there? It's few and far between where Batances' control has been there for an entire outing. I mean, I could say the same thing about Chapman, though. Yes, he's been better lately, but he hasn't been great for an extended period of time um, with his control. He's been very good lately. But not enough to pull Batantis against Steven Souza Jr., who's a freaking right-handed bat, bringing in, uh, pulling Batantis in the middle of the inning with, with two outs to bring in Chapman to get four outs for a save. You bring in a, a closer for a four-out save when you don't have your the, the faith in the guy that's throwing at that point or your, your bullpen is um, just a, a different type of situation than it is right now. It's It was a very weird move, and I don't understand bringing in Chapman after he has really started to right the ship and he's looking like that dominant guy again um, with his stuff. I mean, he's, he's getting swings and misses again and you bring him in in a situation to get four outs where he's got to get one out and then sit and then come back out for the eight for the ninth. I don't know. It was just, it, it was weird. And to me again, it was just Girardi not getting the, the flow of the game and, uh, and just going with whatever the, whatever the binder or whatever his little sheet says for that particular day. It was a very strange move. But you know how Batances is. When he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it. Girardi must have thought he didn't have it. He was leaving his breaking ball up. He wasn't throwing strikes again. So, I don't know. Can we really blame Girardi for pulling Batances after what we've seen him do at random times this season? He he completely loses it and shits the bed. The reason you can the reason you can talk about it and and question why he does it. I'm not going to say that it was like the the most horrendous move in the entire world. It was strange to me. It was just one that I'm scratching my head and don't understand. 
And the reason is because Chapman has not been this guy that's been that's been like your most consistent. He was demoted to like the fifth and sixth inning for God's sakes, not too long ago. So why are you bringing him in for a four out save? I, it just it doesn't make sense. Put guys in situations that are or you know that they're going to succeed in, or at least that they have a better a better chance to succeed in. You know, Batances may have had a, a little bit of control issues, but he had a filthy curveball tonight. He was he or today, and he wasn't pitching badly. I would have absolutely kept him in, um, but or, uh, Chapman comes in, walks a guy, gives up a run, and then comes back out for the ninth, walks his first guy, and then dominates after that. But it was just a strange move, and it worked out in the end. I still don't think it was the right move. Right. You're, we're going to look back in a couple of weeks, and it, it might not even show up on, on anything. We might just forget about it because you're right. The Yankees won the game. But it's, it's these little things, especially with a four-game series coming up in a huge stretch of baseball for the Yankees where he ran through his entire bullpen today and Chapman threw a lot of pitches today as well. So it's, I don't know. He was, he seemed a little panicky to me. There's no doubt it was a panic move. And I don't know why he was, when you make, when you make a panic move, you go to a guy that you have a hundred percent confidence in and Girardi has not had confidence in Chapman. So I don't know why he's going to make that move. That, that's what I don't get. I don't get that you're bringing in a guy that's also been uh, not at the top of his game this season. It's not like he's been lights out all year long and that's your guy that's going to come in and get four outs because he's going to get four outs. You kind of don't know. And that's why I don't get the move because there was a lot of uncertainty about the move as well. And it was a matchup. Why are you bringing in a lefty for the, uh, the, the power right-handed bat who strikes out a lot why not leave Batantis in for the right-handed bat? I, th- this is what I don't understand. Well, in theory, Chapman should be matchup proof. That's probably not the case this season. In theory, but... everything's in theory for him because of his history, but it's just not the case now. Mm-hmm. And w- and why did uh, Joe not pinch hit for either Frazier or Romine with the bases loaded in the eighth inning? The Yankees left so many runners on base today. 11 runners on base, 2 for 14 with runners in scoring position. Today's game was basically a microcosm for the 2017 Yankees where they get a ton of guys on base, they can't get them in. There's a ton of head-scratching moves by Girardi. You're pulling your hair out. You're freaking out. Somehow, Yankees come out with a 3-2 to victory. Yeah, at the end of the day, they won. they won the series. That's another series win. And... The um, the game that we really didn't touch on too much, though, was Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray on on Tuesday had an unbelievable game. He had, made a couple mistakes with the home run ball. But like he said, he's challenging guys in situations like that when there's nobody on base. And I like that. I, I got no problem with that. If he gets beat, he gets beat. But their solo shots, it was two runs. The Yankees got to score runs for him for whatever reason. You know, people were talking today about the amount of time that he takes between pitches and how, how long he's out there, and maybe that's why the, the, the bats get stagnant because it's, it's happened to him in Oakland as well. So maybe there's something else to it. I don't know. I don't really buy that. I think it's just a, a, an unfortunate coincidence. But, man, you got to get this guy runs when he is dealing like that. I think he had nine strikeouts through six innings. It was something he – was, he was pitching very well and uh, absolutely did not deserve to lose that game. So he got low run support in Oakland as well? Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that's been that's been following him. There's no doubt about it. That's interesting. Um, I don't know if the if the time between pitches has any factor on it. Kind of lulls the the offense to sleep at while they're in the field. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how guys who take longer to throw pitches uh, get run support. Uh, but I'm way too lazy to look that up. Gray was absolutely filthy. He, he gave up. He made two mistakes on the entire night. The only silver lining, I guess, is he saved the bullpen. 
one thing I noticed about Sonny Gray, though, is his curveball is what he uses when he needs a strikeout. He uses his sinker and his slider to get ground balls, and that's great. But he was in a big jam in the fifth inning, and he needed strikeouts, and he used his curveball. Yeah, and he's got some just unbelievable combinations to to get guys um, with the amount of pitches that he has. Uh, again, I, I've talked about this. I, I love watching him pitch. I think he's fun to watch because you just never know what's going to come. He could drop a curveball on you. He could throw it 94, 95. Um, but then he's got that filthy slider that that has a ton of movement. And when you're looking at it, I tweeted out a, um, a gif the other day um, from uh, from the Pitching Ninja, a guy I follow on Twitter who just has like unreal gifs and videos that I uh, – that I retweet a lot, but he, you could see the, the different combination between the fastball and the slider. When you, when the ball is coming out of his hand and when the batter is looking at it and identifying the pitch, it looks like the same pitch. And then the late break on the slider is just filthy. It's just absolutely nasty. So he's, he's a fun dude to watch. Um, I, I do believe that slider though, when it's on is, is probably his best pitch. So we got a big stretch for the Yankees, four games against Baltimore at the stadium and then three games against Minnesota. I think, uh, and you and I agree on this, that this stretch is going to tell a lot about if the Yankees are going to be the wild card team or the the division team. The, this next seven games at home, you got to take care of business. Yeah, the Orioles are coming in. They're, they're still technically in it they have because they're playing the Yankees they're technically in it and it's a four game set so I mean the Orioles could come in thinking they're going to do some damage the bottom line is is you can hit the the Orioles pitching I don't care how many runs they score we could probably score three more runs every single game because their pitching is horrendous so the the bats need to come to play Um, if the the Yankees if the Yankees pitchers can can throw quality starts I I feel confident the Yankees are going to um, do some damage against the Orioles because their pitching is that bad, especially at Yankee Stadium. We saw what happened last time they came to Yankee Stadium. I think it was the last time was the June 10th event, right? That whole weekend was just a freaking God, was it that long just ago? a barrage. It may they may have been there earlier or since then, but the um, that weekend was an unbelievable offensive display by the Yankees. I mean, they just they embarrassed the Orioles, and the Orioles pitching is not any better. They're they're still bad. So they yes they have some uh, some bullpen guys but they got to get to those guys in order for them to be effective so um, I expect the Yankees offense to come out and, and stay hot unlike the Yankees at Camden Yards where the Orioles were beating up on them for the last few years the Yankees have actually played pretty good against Baltimore at Yankee Stadium uh, with Cleveland's twenty one ridiculous win streak in a row just like the best base stretch of baseball maybe in history. They've overtaken Houston for the number one seed in the American League, which means the wild card team is going to be playing Houston. It's not going to be easy having to play that one game wild card knowing you've got to go directly to Cleveland. Maybe they're peaking early, maybe they're not, but they're the best team in the American League, and it's not even close. They might be the best team in baseball. I know the Dodgers still have the best record, but they lost 10 games in a row. So Cleveland right now is just on a ridiculous stretch. Yeah, they're they're definitely playing unbelievable. Um, but again, I'm telling you, they are going to at some point find Earth. And when they find Earth, I have a feeling it's going to be at a very inopportune time. Uh, these guys are riding in a, a ridiculous high. 21 games. That ties the record, right, for the Cubs. In, I think Dom tweeted it out. I saw it like 1935. Something ridiculous. And yeah, records a long don't time. count from back then. But it's a, it's a game streak. It's, it's, it makes sense. I mean, you can kind of go apples <laughs> to apples for that. But at the same time, they are 
they're going to, you know, they're winning this many games. You got to find some losses here and there. They're going to come. They're going to come. It's baseball. It has to come. And they're going to come at bad times. It's baseball, Scott. That's what They're going to come at bad times. I know it does. It does. John Sterling knows it damn well it's going to happen. You, you're going to watch that that uh, center stage with John Sterling that the Yes Network has been teasing all week with Michael Kay? I, you got to. I mean, that's uh, the two guys back back in the same room. They're old partners on uh, w, what was it, WABC 770 when I used to listen to them on the radio when I was a kid. It was those two guys calling the game. So, yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's going to be a little bit of a, a throwback for me. Before we get to the segment you did with Ryan, we want to remind you guys to rate and review the podcast in iTunes. The reviews have been coming in and they've been good. I love it. Keep it up. Go rate this podcast five stars right now if you enjoy it. It helps us out a lot. Also, we uh, want to get the voicemails rolling again. Call up the voicemail line 646-480-0342. You can also submit mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. There's no excuse not to be fired up on the on the voicemails and the mailbags right now with the Yankees going for the playoffs. We have not had playoff baseball in the Bronx in a while. So everyone needs to get fired up, Scott. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, this is this is the this is the greatest time of your life and it will be i'm imitating that dude from monday night football if you didn't know but that that dude was i did uh, not know i wreck. thought you were just stuttering having a stroke or something <laughs> no dude was a train wreck uh unfortunately he had a very bad time on monday night football um and he got destroyed on twitter but no seriously this is going to be a, a hell of a week if the yankees can take care of business it's going to look very good to where they are i think the the rest of the season will determine on the positioning and jockeying for what they're going to do i really want to overtake boston i feel like that would be a, a just a, a, such a strong move this year um when we knew going into the season that they were such a heavy favorite so it would really sting badly if they had to go and play in a wild card one one game wild card game and uh i would love nothing more to see that yeah also my heart can't take another one game wild card all right guys uh stay tuned for the segment with ryan and we will talk to you on monday started with nothing really i was dreaming sleeping rarely had a different theory then i started thinking clearly can y'all even hear me but no we saw a car can't turn around now i know we're not far and i can smell it deep down they're jealous that'll never sell us what they used to tell us shout out to all the fake fans to the dreamers that can make plans all right, like welcome on the show, Mr. Ryan Bruco of the Yes Network and ESPN, the Players Tribune uh, podcast, R2C2, amongst many other things. Ryan, what is going on, my man? Oh, thank you for having me, dude. Happy to uh, get to chat with you. You're a busy dude. I'm, I'm sure I missed at least five job titles within your resume at this point. <laughs> no, I think, you know what? I think you did a pretty good job there summing it up, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. So you're out in Los Angeles uh, covering the WNBA right now. And obviously, I'm, I'm sure you've been keeping an eye on what the Yankees are doing out on the East Coast, going back to a, with a big stretch into the Bronx. What are your overview thoughts of what you're seeing from this team right now? You know, I feel really good about the way they're they're playing. Um, I, I know that, uh, you know, obviously they they lost a tough middle game against the Rays, uh, you know, another one run loss. But uh, and, and, you know, you couple the first two games against the Rays and they, you know, the, the offense quieted a bit, although the run total was fine in the first game. Obviously, the hits were down a little bit. But I, I think if you look at the way they've been playing and even if you look at some of the games they've lost recently, 
you know, their offense, since they've gotten healthy, since they've gotten Castro back, since they've gotten Holiday back, you know, since they've gotten Bird back, although I know, you know, he's on the shelf for a few days and has struggled a little bit over the last few games, but his contributions as soon as he got back were certainly significant, especially against the Red Sox. But I think when you look at their offense, when it is whole, it has performed much like it did at the beginning of the season, which which has a top offense in baseball. And then you consider just how consistent this starting rotation has been basically since the All-Star break. I think you have to feel really good about the way that they're playing. I think when you, when you think about the ability to send out Sonny Gray, Tanaka, Severino, CeCe, and the way the offense is clicking, plus the arms in the bullpen, although we know they've had you know, their, their shaky moments, their numbers overall are great, I think you have to feel like this is a team that at any point can rattle off a lot of wins in a row, and right now they're winning series consistently, so I feel pretty good about them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that when we saw how many injuries the starting rotation actually had, that we would, uh, you know, this conversation, if we were to predict it, you know, two months ago, we don't think this would uh, this would be the outcome. We didn't think that they would be as consistent as they are, um, especially with Tanaka's struggles and and um, you know Pineda going down. Granted, he was up and down after his really hot start. So, yeah, I think the team is in a very good place at this point. And I think you're right. You know, when you look up and down the bullpen, the starting rotation, and the healthy offense. This is a team that is, honestly, I've been touting this for a while. It's really built for the playoffs. It's built for a short series because of their depth and their top-tier talent. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and also, I always think in the postseason, you need dangerous hitters. You know, you need guys who are going to make that pitcher slow down his tempo and his rhythm and be afraid to make a mistake. And the Yankees have that. You know, I mean, with Sanchez and Judge, they have two hitters who are as scary as any other two hitters in the American league. And I know that obviously judges had a slower second half, although he's looked you know, much better of late and seems to, his approach seems to be more similar to the way it was in the first half, which is encouraging. Um, but I think that that's so key having hitters that are going to, you know, make the opposing team really think about you and be super careful with you and issue that walk they didn't want to. And then there are, there's plenty of other good, strong, consistent hitters in that lineup and people who just do their job. You know, the way Brett Gardner has operated as a leadoff man this year has been so valuable. Even when he's not getting on base, just the way he works the count and sees pitches, his clutch gene, you know, the way Headley has hit, you know, save one month this season, the way that Didi has consistently produced, the threat that Castro poses, uh, you know, even a guy like Todd Frazier, who I think is playing a way better third base than any of us realized he could. The fact that, you know, he can work in a bat you know, he's certainly willing to wear one for the team, and he's still a power threat at any moment. I like the way their lineup is composed, um, and uh, and I think that if you got to a playoff series, I mean, how great would you feel just in games one and two sending out a Severino and a Gray, you know? And then it's like, okay, you know, in game three, you could set out Tanaka, and then you could send out CeCe, who's been unbelievable in big spots and after losses this year in a game four. That's pretty, that's pretty strong stuff. Plus, you think about the availability of every one of your top relievers for basically as long as you'd want because of a postseason schedule. So, you know, they have to get there. And, uh, and of course, if they win a wild card, there's a the danger of the one game. But I agree with you. I think if they get there and they get in a series, they're really dangerous. Yeah, and not even just the pitching staff as well. But Joe has, has some very good options when he's going up against 
no matter who it is, whether it's a you know a lefty or a righty starting pitcher, he's got options in the field. I mean, this team is so deep at this point that I think he can really match up well to you know whatever the opposing pitcher is. And, and that's a huge, huge part of being in the playoffs and succeeding in the playoffs. Now, Girardi has proven lately that he's, he's able to you know, pull those strings and, and make sure that he's putting the right guys in the right positions. I mean, look what Headley's done at first base. We all knew that he was starting to hit as a lefty, but since the All-Star break, he's hitting as a right-handed bat. And you look at his year numbers, like you said, throw away that one month. He's been consistent, very yeah. consistent, and he's been pretty damn good over at first. He has been. He has been. And it's great to have those options. You're 100% right. You, if you think about you know, think about some of the Yankees championship teams, right, from the, the late 90s and, and what they would do matching up depending on who was on the mound. You know, would it be Strawberry or would it be Reigns? You know, would it be Fielder or would it be Tino? Uh, you know, is Ricky Lede or Shane Spencer going to get a starter? How about Chad Curtis? You know, I mean, th- there were a lot of times where – the Yankees ended up going to, you know, a lefty or a righty, depending on the start of the mound. Think about the game one in 98 that Lede had off of Kevin Brown because, you know, he was the lefty option uh, to go up against that righty in Brown. So I, I think you're right. I think having those options, feeling like you can go any route you want to, it is critical. And you know that inevitably when you get into postseason series, you're going to have one of those games where, you know, you're going to have, uh, extra innings and somebody's going to pinch run and then somebody else is going to get up in a spot where you'd rather not have them. And the good news is there's really nobody on this Yankee team who you feel like, oh man, we have to have an at-bat with him. I mean, literally every member of their bench brings something to the table offensively that makes you feel like they could get something done. And that is a unique asset that could be deployed come postseason time. You know, it's funny that you make the comparison to those late 90s teams. And while it's dangerous to make comparisons to those teams, I get it. If for nothing else but expectations of the fans listening, I understand that yeah, those are dangerous, yeah. dangerous comparisons. But I, I agree with you in the sense that, um, that this team has those, those types of depth. And doesn't it, doesn't it kind of feel like the, the, the finger and the thumb all over this team that, that Gene Stick Michael has really had a significant influence when talking with Brian Cashman, making those moves? I don't know. To me, we were talking about this on our last show. It, it does feel like a very similar type of roster. Well, it does because they've used a similar type of blueprint to what they did to build those teams, you know? I mean, first of all, Brian Cashman would be the first one to tell you that Gene Michael has had an incredible influence on you know, the way he goes about his business as a, as a mentor and a friend. So I think that Gene Michael's blood will always run through the decision-making uh, of this front office because of that connection between stick and cash. But I also think if you just look at the general blueprint of, hey, we're going to build through the farm. We're going to be patient with our young guys. You know, we're not going to deal them all. You know, the Yankees could have very easily uh, in past situations have gone out this offseason and dealt, you know, Sanchez, uh, I mean, maybe Sanchez and Judge would have been too much, but I don't know if it would have at the time in a deal for Chris Sale, you know. But they, but they knew that that's not the way to build what they're trying to build. So I definitely think there are some comparisons that way. Also, just the, you know, the idea of a, a, a patient offense that sees pitches that you know provides power threats. Um, and, and you know, if you were looking at their team and saying, okay, you know, what are they missing? Maybe one of the things is having that sort of, I want to say, prototypical two-hitter who's going to hit for a high average and be able to, you know, move the ball around, get on base, not strike out a lot, and just give a real consistent at-bat versus 
bad or good pitching. So I could see that maybe being something where like, okay, you know, a guy who's really tough to be pitched to, a guy who doesn't have any holes in his swing. So if you're looking to nitpick the offense and what maybe it could have uh, that would help it in October times, maybe that's the kind of thing that they'd still sort of be searching for. But otherwise, I I agree that the composition is is very much in the mold of what uh, Sick Michael would want. All right, now pulling it back just a little bit, I want to I want to talk to uh, you just a, a bit about where you grew up and just some things about yourself. I, I did see that you grew up in the Hudson Valley. Did you grow up yes, a Yankees fan? I did. Grew up a diehard Yankee fan. I was going to say I've seen Yankees hats in some of your Instagram pictures, so I was <laughs> I was kind of leaning that direction. So a, a question: when you're when you're growing up a diehard Yankees fan, like you said. How do you find that right blend of homerism, realism, and then being objective when you're calling a game? Because I'm sure it's a struggle. Well, so it's interesting because, you know, I do national games as well when it comes to basketball, right? Um, So I do a lot of NBA for ESPN. So um, and then I do WNBA for ESPN. So I'm constantly uh, doing broadcasts where there has to be absolutely no – you know, favoring one side or the other when it comes to, you know, the amount of time you spend on the teams or, you know, um, or the energy in your voice or whatever it might be. Uh, um, and I think that that probably helps some because you get reps in that vein. But sure. the thing that helps the most is that I care so much more about doing a good job than I do who wins any game that I do. Like, it is vitally important to me that. I give, you know, an accurate, fair, honest uh, broadcast of any game I do, whether it's the Yankees or the Nets or it's a national game. So when I do a Yankee game, yeah, do is it better for me and is it better for the broadcast if the Yankees win? Absolutely. Am I going to get more excited, you know, when the Yankees hit a big home run than when the Tigers do? Yeah, you bet I am. (laughs) Of course, my audience is Yankee fans. Like, it would not make sense to that audience if I didn't. But am I going to, you know, try and sound like a fan or get mad if there's an out in a big spot or not acknowledge a great play by the other team? Absolutely not. Like the the priority is still having a great broadcast, not who wins the game. So, you know, I always look at it the way I always look at TV play by play is it's like the score to a movie. You know, if you're watching a movie and you know you see the killer walk in the room you know he walks in the room you're seeing it but that music helps make the moment come to life right that dun 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 if when the killer walked in the room you heard a flowery harp it wouldn't make sense to you just like if when steph curry hit a half court buzzer beater i was just like well curry hits the shot and the warriors go in front you'd be like huh did it not count or something so you want your inflection and your voice uh, to always make sense to the moment, to help it come to life for the audience, much the way music in a movie does as they're seeing the pictures. And so in that sense, you have to consider who the audience is. And that's sort of how you differentiate. So yeah, when my audience is mainly Yankee fans and Clint Frazier hits a huge two-run double to break a 2-2 tie in the eighth inning and give the Yankees the lead, they're going to expect me to be more excited and, and it will make more sense to them than if you know uh, Nick Castellanos hits a two-run double to give the Tigers the lead in that spot. But on a national game where the audience is split down the middle, then it's the same level of excitement because you're just doing what makes sense for the viewer and the game. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I've, I've switched to some broadcasts of uh, opponents 
occasionally just to kind of get the the tune from the other side as well. And it's amazing how many, I think the Orioles in particular, whenever the Yankees do anything positive, I mean, it's dead silence. Jim Palmer and uh, uh, Gary, uh, I can't remember, they are absolutely just numb to anything that happens. And you almost don't even realize that something happened. So I think there is a fine line with that. Um, but it's interesting to hear your take on that. It's, yeah. It's, it's you know, because the other, the, other, the other part of it, sorry to cut you off, man. The other part of it is like, you know, it's it, ultimately, you know, it's not, you, you don't have to act responsible as the announcer for what's going on on the field because it's not your fault no matter what kind of jinx people think there may be, right. you know. So, so there's no reason to, to, to dull or whatever what's going on for the other team. If it is great, that doesn't mean you have to be over the moon because your audience isn't going to be as excited about it. But like nobody's going to be like, oh, he's the reason why they got that hit. You know what I mean? Like ultimately logic prevails. So you might as well give the moment whatever the appropriate do is. I agree with you. I think Twitter is an exception for that because there is no logic. On, there's zero <laughs> yeah. logic on Twitter. If we uh, if we tweet something from Bronx Pinstripes that that says anything to the contrary of what happens, it's our fault. There's no doubt about it. My uh, <laughs> my, my co-host Andrew is constantly jinxing people. So there's a uh, there is some real Twitter jinxing as far as the fan base is when it, when when they look at us. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> but you know what's funny about that? Like honestly, it's really a venting tool, right? Like yeah. that that's what Twitter is. It, in almost every circumstance of those interactions, if you were to have a one-on-one conversation with people who tweet these kind of things, they would say, yeah, you know what, ultimately you're right. I know you didn't have anything to do with that. You know, but it's something about the group setting and the forum and you know, just having this, this medium to be able to share your you know, frustrations or, or, uh, you know, or, or just like that, that quick burst of anger or venting that – puts people in position to say things that they probably don't believe, which I get is part of being a fan is part of the communal experience of it. But I think ultimately, like I found too, when somebody says something critical to me on Twitter, you know, 99% of the time when I go back to them and say like, you know, Hey, thanks for listening. It's like, Oh, uh, you know, I'm actually a big fan, you know, like it's just, it's a, it's a venting tool, you know? So I, I think that it's a lot of times you have to take, Twitter for uh, the medium, not the content. Uh, like Marshall McLuhan has this great thing: the medium is the message, and I think that's kind of what it is. Like the medium just allows for this kind of content, but I'm not sure people actually believe the content that they that they share. You have a new podcast that started what a couple months ago uh, with CC Sabathia, and one thing I have noticed is with your time doing work with the Yankees and working for the Yes Network and, and talking with these players, it seems like you have a very good rapport with a lot of the players. Um, and, and obviously with, with CC Sabathia, you've, you guys have started a podcast together. So um, listening to that, that early episode about how you guys would talk music and it was just really casual conversations in the clubhouse more than uh, you know, your, your typical broadcast player relationship. It seems more of a natural relationship than that. So what do you, what do you attribute these relationships to uh, and, and how it helps your broadcast? Well, you know, I'm glad that you're able to see that, man, and you observe that because I, I do feel fortunate that I, I feel like I do have really good relationships uh, in that clubhouse with a lot of the guys. Um, and, you know, um, I, I think that being that's one of the areas where being a little bit younger probably helped me, sure. some, you know, sure. because I'm 30. Uh, I've been I've been around the Yankee clubhouse one way or another in and out since I was uh, 19 beat reporting. Uh, for WFUV. And 
Um, and, you know, you know, there might have been a season here or there where I wasn't. But for the most part, you know, I've been around. And so I've gotten to know a lot of people over over time. And, you know, I think that, you know, being able to relate with certain interests and stuff, being around similar ages helps. I think, you know, just trying to be, you know, professional and and, and there and accountable uh, helps. Um, and then uh, and then some of it, too, was just uh fortuitous and having some mutual friends and getting to know guys better that way you know in the case of cc me and him just kind of clicked uh, as soon as he came over in 09 because you know we we're both uh big basketball fans and we would talk about the lakers all the time and uh he was just so nice and unassuming especially for a player of his stature and we just kind of hit it off um and so we always maintained a nice uh then we did a couple features together for yankees on demand and we we just maintained a nice relationship um, and then eventually, uh, we kind of ended up realizing like we had, you know, some mutual friends, uh, my buddy, Matt Siegel, who worked for rock nation, did stuff with CC. And then one of my, uh, close friends is a guy named Matt Nimer, who's CC's guy in the clubhouse. Um, so we all just kind of like ended up, you know, hanging out and hitting it off and whatever. And our friendship sort of developed, uh, from there. Um, so that one just it sort of started in the clubhouse and continued with some of our mutual connections. But, you know, it, it, it's a balance because, you know, there may be times where you obviously have to be, you know, critical of uh, of right. these guys or whatever. And so you always have to make sure your relationships. Sure, they are. You know, you're, you're going to always have uh, personal relationships in this business. Um, and uh, and usually I think they really do serve the job rather than hurt it, because I think you know, you end up learning things and getting to know guys way better and understanding their perspective. Um, and, you know, it's one of the reasons why I also wanted to stop hosting like a daily radio show was because I did sort of feel the um, the the conflict of the way you handle something play by play wise when you're evaluating someone versus as a talk show host, you know, because there is a difference. Um, and, uh, and anyway, um, I feel like I, I always kind of go by the Mike Breen rule. He taught me this when I was in college. Like, never say something on air that you wouldn't say to the player's face. So, you know, when you have those relationships, it's real easy for me to be like, well, CeCe's struggling today. Because if, if I'm talking to CeCe later, I'm going to say, man, today was a struggle, huh? You know? But, like, that's different than me saying, like, well, CeCe has been terrible today. You know? Like, that I'm not going to say uh, because it's not something I would say to his face, so I won't say it on air. And so that kind of helps preserve those relationships when you can just be honest in your evaluations and fair in the way you assess guys, I guess. So CeCe's had a very good year. I think some may not have expected it. I mean, with uh, with, with the knee injury, I felt yeah. like, and I'm, I'm one of them. You know, I thought that that him getting an age and, and seeing that knee was going to be <laughs> – it was going to be a struggle for him physically to actually go go out and pitch a, a full season. He's really learned how to you know pitch the way he needs to at this point in, in his career. Uh, you know, people attribute him talking with Pettit and and, and a very similar kind of uh, you know the way that they end their careers towards the yeah. end of their careers. They're they're really trying to master the pitching rather than using their dominant fastball and things like that that CC had early on. So I, I think a lot of chatter has been after what's been happening this year, that the, that the Yankees maybe bring him back on a one-year deal. Do you get the feeling that CeCe still wants to pitch? And is that something that, you know, he's looking at? Because he's obviously starting some uh, post-retirement plans with podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I, I definitely think he still wants to pitch, you know. Um, I, uh, 
I, I'm sure we will do a, a, a podcast at some point that really delves into it. Um, but my, you know, I think if they, I think if they won the World Series this year, he would seriously consider retiring. Sure. Um, uh, but um, and, and you know, had that knee injury been worse, I think that also might have pushed him uh, closer to retirement. But I think that the fact that he's performed so well, and the thing is, he still loves competing. You know, like we've talked about how, like he just aches to be back on the mound at Yankee Stadium in October, hearing the crowd. You know. Um, and that's sort of what drives him. So I could eat, I could tell you this, there is no chance CC pitches for anyone who isn't a legitimate world series contender, you know? Sure. Um, and, uh, and he obviously knows the Yankees are that and believes they are that. Um, uh, but I think he, I think he would love to, uh, to, to continue to pitch. And I think he would, he would love to continue to pitch here with the Yankees. You know, his kids have, a lot going on here and he's established a beautiful life uh, in New Jersey. So I, I, I think there's, you know, I think there, there's definitely a strong uh, desire to continue to pitch here with the Yankees. And if I'm the Yankees, I'd obviously seriously consider it as well because, you know, he's, I don't know what the finances are going to be, but you know, it, we know the law, it's not going to be some kind of long-term commitment. Um, and uh and he, he gives you innings. He has, he's a great leader in that clubhouse. Um, I see the way the guys gravitate towards him. He's an amazing teammate. And, uh, and as we've seen this year, when you need a win, he can still go out and give it to you. Um, so I, I think it, as of now, I think a, a continuation of this relationship probably makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I was thinking more of along the lines of like a Hiroki Kuroda deal, one-year fashion coming back. It yeah. seems like at this point in his career, I mean, he like you said, he's got a life in the in the tri-state area. Um, you know, he's he's obviously developing a relationship with uh, with the media and doing things like that too in New York. So I think it's it seems like a a very good fit. Plus, the Yankees brass has to see that 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 crazy little smile that CC gets every time there's a scuffle on the field. <laughs> who, who doesn't want that on their side? Because it's it's uh it's great to see the how much he relishes being with his guys, and you can just tell he he loves doing it. He does, man. He does. He couldn't, he couldn't help but show me right after that, like as we were getting ready to get on the plane. He's like, yo, look at this. It was the video of him smiling in the middle yeah. of the scuffle as he's holding Gardner back, um, which him and uh, Hicks and Didi were funny about in one of our episodes of R2C2, uh, kind of just talking about that whole, that whole incident. But CeCe is one of those guys. You know, he's like he's, he's a, uh, you know, he's a ride-or-die ride type teammate, um, and – He's got his teammates back. Like even if you think to a couple of years ago, when uh, who, who was it on the Astros with Brett Overholzer who threw behind a Rod after he gave up uh, gave up a grand slam to McCann and like a two run homer to Chris Young, and he just threw behind a Rod because he was struggling. And Cece was the first one out of the dugout, having to be held back by Joe Girardi. You know, I mean, he just always he's that dude. You know, he's he's not afraid of anything, and he. He really, he really protects and loves his teammates. You know, I think it's why he also built the bond he did so quickly with the guys in Milwaukee when he was there, to the point that he really thought there was a legitimate chance he was coming back there. You know, because he, he's that guy who, who people just gravitate to and he develops a quick relationship with. Um, so, I mean, I kind, of agree, I kind of agree with you. There's something to the value of having a, a teammate like that in the clubhouse, and I'm sure that's, you know, one of the things that will be on the pro column uh, when the Yankees do their evaluations of how they want to move forward. 
Talking about the lineup now, quickly, the the, the two-hitter is something that you touched on. I I have been looking and circling the man, Didi Gregorius. You had him on your show. You've spoken with him. The guy seems like there is no big moment that that bothers him. He's put up some of the most consistent numbers on the Yankees this year. I mean, the guy's been phenomenal. He's turned out, when he came to the Yankees, he couldn't hit hit left-handed pitching for the life of him. Now he can't miss it. He's one of the better uh, lefties against left-handed pitching. So it seems like he can make that that adjustment depending on who the you know starting pitcher is and I know Joe likes to do the lefty righty switch at the top of the lineup but he seems like one of those guys that is able to take those moments and really give consistent at bats the entire time no matter um, you know what the situation I saw a stat a couple of days ago saying that when the ba- with the bases loaded Didi is batting 405 uh, in 42 at bats with 44 RBIs. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that is. He see, he has great at bats, great at bats with men in scoring position. He comes through with big hits. I don't feel like he's overwhelmed by good pitching or or bad pitching. He he's a guy who I do think is pretty consistent no matter who's on the mound, and and that is one of those you know valuable things that you're right. I was talking about. I guess the tough part about him in the two hole is he's not necessarily the biggest on base guy. You know. Um, <laughs> He's not a he's not a guy who walks. So um, then it's a matter of okay, like you could put him in the in the two hole and it'd just be a little you know less traditional, a little more contact. But would you rather, since he's not a guy who's necessarily setting the table, but more so clearing it, would you rather him hit a little bit later and have opportunities to drive in runs? Do you think that Joe Girardi's future uh, as a Yankees manager is dependent on how the Yankees do down the stretch and, and into the playoffs? We know he's had success with young teams with Florida before. It seems like that the Yankees are, are going to want to you know, progress into this next era with a solid, um, you know, with, with one guy and, and really give him the, the keys. And it seems like it's Girardi's team. It doesn't seem like there's any, anything questioning that besides people on Twitter. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, do you think he's he's pretty much solid there, or it does depend on what happens this year? You know, I have to say, I really have no, absolutely no insider knowledge as to how that is going to take place. So I really, really, honestly, this isn't me ducking you. I really, honestly, do not know how they will handle it. Um, you know, I think that I think that there's a good, uh, respectful working relationship between. Brian Cashman and Joe Girardi for what each other does. I think there's uh, a real um, respect for the attention to detail that Joe pays um, and, uh, and for his work ethic and how much he cares. Um, and, you know, Joe also, you know, he has he has kids are at different points in their life. And, you know, I know his son Dante is developing athletically. And, and, and Joe has always kind of taken it, you know, contract to contract and year to year and, and seeing what life, you know, gives him. So, you know, I I know I don't know this, uh, but like I know people will sometimes say like, hey, you know, there's no guarantee that Joe will want to continue to do it because maybe he's ready for the next step of his life. Um, and, and, and we always know, you know, when it comes to the Yankees, uh, things are, are always fluid and in flux because you have serious expectations. But, you know, I would think that there's a really good chance that relationship continues. I think Joe seemed energized by having all the young talent that they have right now. Um, and, uh, and I could see him wanting to continue to steward that into the future, uh, because it is an exciting time for this organization and there are really amazing possibilities on the horizon, but at the same time, you know, it's a taxing job that he's done for a long time now. And if he was like, you know what, uh, it's time to move on and do something else or take some time off. I could see that too. So 
I really am not sure. I don't know if it depends how the rest of the season goes. You know, I don't know if it depends how the playoffs go because one thing that's very clear is Brian Cashman is not uh, he's he's not reacting overreacting to the moment. He has a, a really good long term vision, and um, and I think that you know that enables them to see the forest through the trees, even if there was you know say like a you know a pivotal mistake that cost them a game that ousted them from the playoffs. I don't think that would be the determining factor in Joe's future because I think they know how to look at the broader, bigger picture. So I think a lot more will go into it than that. That being said, looking at the final stretch now and, and talking about the Yankees getting into the playoffs, uh, Cleveland is ridiculously smoking hot, 20 in a yeah. row. I mean, are, maybe they're peaking too early. I don't know. This is uh, They still have a few weeks left of baseball. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine. If you, if you uh, subscribe to the John Sterling, you know, that's baseball Susan train of thought, then <laughs> you're, you're going to think that Cleveland's going to slow down at some point, and maybe they are peaking a little too early. But um, they're obviously a juggernaut right now. Yankees are trailing by four in the East, over uh, plus three on the Twins in the wild card. What is your looking into a crystal ball? What are you seeing for this team, um, you know, down the stretch of the regular season and into the playoffs? You know, uh, for for the Indians or for the Yankees? For the Yankees. You know, I, I think that I think that the Yankees are going to play really good baseball the rest of the way, as long as they stay healthy. Knock on wood. Um, and I think that they're going to go into the playoffs feeling really good about themselves. I, I don't think the division is off the table yet because I think the way the Yankees are lined up. They're perfectly capable of going on a long winning streak. Um, it's obviously going to be very hard because the Red Sox are a good team and they have that four-game cushion, and that's hard to overcome in this short amount of time when you don't have any games against them. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say it's off the table yet. And I think that either way, the Yankees are going to feel. I think they're going to play good baseball down the stretch the rest of the way and go into the playoffs thinking that anything is possible. Um, and uh, and and that you know if they if let's say they're the wild card if they can get by that that first game then look out because anything's on the table so that's kind of how I see the rest of the season going you know I think it's significant that Chapman's been able to reimmerse into uh, his closer's role and I think that's the best possible scenario for this Yankee bullpen and how good he's looked this last few times out I think is so significant to their uh, ultimate success I love the way Joe deployed David Robertson the other day. Yep. Um, and uh, and I love the weapon that Chad Green is. Um, so I, I think that when you combine, you know, those four guys, uh, with Batantis being the other in the pen, and then uh, your top four starters, um, and and the the you know the potency of the Yankee lineup, I think as long as they're healthy, they're gonna they, you know they're gonna win most series throughout the end of this season and go into the playoffs feeling good about themselves, whether they're going in as a wild card or they're going in as the American League East champion. Love it. Ryan, appreciate you. Appreciate your uh, your work, and, uh, and thank you very much. Looking forward to the rest of the season. There's no doubt about it. I agree with you. I think that uh, you know anything's on the table if this team can get hot. So appreciate it, Ryan. Have a, have a safe trip back to the East Coast when you do come back. Thanks so much for having me, man. Much appreciated. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.